Welcome back to One Conversation, where one conversation can change your life. My name is JC Macias, and here with me is my amazing co-host, Lisa Piazza. So during our last episode, we discussed sexual assault and introduced the term victim blaming. There are many ways people either outright blame victims or simply imply the victim must have provoked the sexual assault. During this episode today, we'll be focusing on the very important topic of victim blaming. Yes, and we are both really excited about this. I think we almost let it slip and we almost just started talking about this so many times mm -hmm. in our last episode because we know this is yeah a really big issue. And culturally, victim blaming is an extremely common reaction to someone who does disclose a sexual assault, especially female victims and survivors, because we do know there are men and children that are victims of this as well. But especially within female survivors, we see um, a lot of victim blaming happening, right? Once they disclose that perhaps this has happened to them. And of course, this has a huge impact on survivors. Uh, I think in a way it's, it's so common that we almost don't recognize that we do it. We almost don't recognize that we kind of place that blame, right? Or shift the focus on the victim and their mm -hmm. actions. Um, so yeah, it's almost unrecognizable, I believe, to a lot of us, right? Who may just kind of be caught up in the way that our culture deals with things and we don't question it. Um, so yeah, that's why uh, knowing how big of a problem this is, knowing how damaging it can be for victims and survivors, uh, we really wanted to make sure that we spent a full episode today really breaking this down. Absolutely. I think this is going to be such an important conversation to have. So thank you for joining us and for being here. So let's go ahead and start by defining what victim blaming is. So victim blaming is when the victim of a crime, in this case, sexual assault, is seen as somehow responsible for the sexual assault committed against them. So I think it's important to just simply simplify this, right? Victim blaming is when someone is holding the victim accountable for a crime that was committed against them. And so certain individuals feel safer if they can imagine that the victims did something wrong, right? And that's mm -hmm. why sometimes people tend to blame the victim, right? And do victim blaming. It reinforces the concept that bad things happen to bad people. And it simply overlooks the fact that perpetrators are at fault for inflicting pain and committing crimes. And so that's why we're having this important conversation today. There are a lot of different ways that a victim or survivor can be blamed or questioned for an assault. But before we give some examples, it's important to know that no matter what, no one deserves or asks to be assaulted. It is always that other people's, that other person's choice to commit that act Nothing that the victim did or said is a reason or in any way an invitation to assault that person. And so I just want to highlight that, right? It's never the victim's fault. There's nothing that they could have said or done to have deserved that type of, you know, crime or just that type of invasive assault. Absolutely. And again, I think it's so interesting because it is such a common response, right? Mm -hmm. Is to really, and I think it's a really interesting thought when you said, you know, the whole concept that bad things happen to bad people, right? And maybe that's culturally why, um, you know, perhaps we are really quick, right? To kind of have this idea and to frame this as you must have done something wrong, right? And I think it's interesting because that really speaks back to, I think, how much of a 
an awful issue. I think culturally we see sexual assault, right? If that's the response, we know how awful this is. And so if something that awful happened, there must have been something there, right? For someone to invite this, this kind of Mm -hmm. awful crime doesn't just happen to people. So that's really interesting, right? Because I think we do, we see there, you know, almost like a concern. We understand the severity of the issue, but then a disconnect in how we are actually examining the issue, talking about it or providing support, right? And so it's just really interesting to think about that whole thought process. Um, But when we are really questioning the victim, it almost implies that we're kind of Mm -hmm. protecting the perpetrator, right? Or the individual who's done this crime instead of that victim or survivor, right? And also it kind of gives this message that like we've been talking about here um, that, yeah, this person did something wrong or did something to deserve being assaulted. And again, we just know that is absolutely never the case. And so let's dive in. Uh, I'm going to give our first example. Of course, all the examples we give today, there's probably so many more. We know there's so many more than just (laughs) this list. We wanted to go over some of the most common examples of victim blaming. And so the first example that we're going to give out, I want to say, I personally, I feel like I have heard and seen this the most not saying statistically it happens the most just in my experience, but the first example we're going to give out is questioning the victim about their clothes or their clothing choice or what they were wearing at the time of the assault, right? So the very common, well, what were you wearing? Well, what did Mm -hmm. you expect showing up and wearing that short skirt? What did you expect having a top on like that? And so it's it's really interesting, right? Because again, we understand that my clothing choice is never inviting somebody to commit a serious crime against me. Um, But that, again, especially we're talking about female victims here, is usually the common go-to, right? Kind of Mm -hmm. examining, well, what was your clothing choice and how did that lead you to be assaulted? And so before we go in and JC kind of provides some other examples of this, um, a really great awareness project and activity that's put out uh, is something called the Clothesline Project. And so we are currently participating in this right now because yes, even though we're getting towards the end of the month, it is still April, still Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And so the Clothesline Project essentially is individuals who were um, victims and survivors of assaults. They send in submissions of clothing, perhaps the the clothing that they were wearing, or, you know, maybe a representation, right? Maybe a similar outfit to what they were wearing when they were assaulted. And it's a really, really powerful, um, I would say maybe exhibit, right? Or display. It's a really powerful display for Sexual Assault Awareness Month, because it really goes to show that it does not matter what you're wearing. Um, You know, again, a lot of us, I think, would assume a lot of these outfits are going to be that again short skirt low cut top which doesn't invite crime regardless but it's interesting because walking through this exhibit and seeing a lot of these entries we see pajamas we see uh oversized tops right and big baggy jeans so really breaking down the misconception that it's a clothing choice that's inviting this crime. And so we encourage any listeners out there, uh, maybe perhaps JC can talk a little bit about where you can maybe submit an entry for the Clothesline Project or where to find that on our website before she gives us some more examples. Absolutely. 
And so if you are interested in the clothesline project, the best way to have access to that is to follow our Facebook um, Live Violence Free page or our Instagram page. All the details are on there as well as a link that will go ahead and directly take you to the clothesline project. It will describe what the clothesline project is, the purpose, the history. Um, you know, I know Lisa just briefly mentioned some of that, but it kind of goes more into depth in regards to, you know, the history behind it um, and just instructions on how to participate and the impact that it makes in our community. So definitely take a look and we hope to see a lot of participation from our community or just any individual who's interested. If you know someone who is close to you and has been sexually assaulted, you can actually do one on their behalf, obviously not telling their story um, with details, but you can just, you know, talk about how their experience was or how that it affected them anonymously without stating any name. So that is pretty much the purpose of this, um, keeping it anonymous empowering survivors who have experienced sexual assault to be able to break the silence and speak up on their story and what has happened to them in a way where they're feeling comfortable and they, in a way that they feel like this information will be treated with respect and confidentiality. So let's go ahead and dive into some more common examples of what victim blaming can sound like, right? It's so important to know that we should not be asking any accusatory questions, right? So some examples of some of those questions that can be asked sometimes that make a victim feel like they are to blame or make the victim feel like they are being accused of why the sexual assault was, you know, committed against them is questions like, how much did you have to drink, right? Like if that played a factor on why they were sexually assaulted or Such was your- Absolutely. Especially when we look at that college population, right? Whether um, the college age population, whether they go to college or not, right? But just looking at that age group, this is a very common asked question. Also, was your door even locked? Like, you know, if that mattered again or played a factor, you know, what should it, why should it matter if your door was locked or if your door was closed, right? Um, how hard did you try to stop it or did you even tell them no, right? Again, we know when it comes to sex or any type of sexual intercourse, consent needs to be given, right? Verbally yeah. given. Um, so it does not matter if someone said no. You need to make sure that permission was asked. And so why didn't you come forward sooner? And so I just really want to speak to this because this is something that I have been asked many times, even by family members, when I started speaking up about the child sexual abuse that I experienced, right? And so obviously, when I started, you know, talking about what I experienced, and, you know, my sexual assault story, I started feeling comfortable to talk about it years later with specific family members who I thought may have some type of understanding or comprehension in regards to the trauma that I experienced or just what I experienced. And I surprisingly had some family members ask me, you know, why didn't you come forward sooner? Or why didn't you talk about this before? Or why now? Right. And it already made, I was already blaming myself during that time, right? Like I should have done this. I should have responded in this way, even though I was a child, but this made me feel like I was, it really validated that feeling, right? Of like self-blame, like I yeah. was to blame. 
And, you know, I hear this very often, especially with some of the survivors that I have worked with in the past who have experienced sexual assault, you know, when they at times have disclosed to a good friend or a family member, right, about the sexual assault they experienced, um, you know, years before or prior, right? The question that is sometimes asked is, you know, why now or why didn't you come forward sooner? And that is not okay, right? Um, Because we cannot expect each and every victim or survivor to act the same way or respond the same way to sexual assault, right? We all experience things differently. We all process things differently, right? And so trauma impacts all of us differently, right? There's no right or perfect way to respond to trauma. And I think this is just so important to highlight. You will never have, you know, survivors of sexual assault react or respond in the exact same way because there's no right or wrong, right? So it's just really, really important to be mindful of the way that we respond or react to someone who is disclosing that they have experienced sexual assault, right? We want to make sure that they are feeling supported. Absolutely. And JC, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, And I love that you took time to really highlight that because as the working professionals in this field that we are, we can understand there's a million plus reasons why, especially someone who's victimized as a child, wouldn't come forward sooner. Uh, We spoke in our last episode on sexual assault, talking about how more than half the time for males and females that they know their perpetrator, this is someone they know they're possibly dating or (laughs) they're connected with closely, right? There's just, there's so many um, complexities, right, to this issue and why someone may not feel comfortable, why may someone may not feel like they really can disclose, right? Given who this person is or not sometimes wanting to hurt that person. If this is someone in a child's life who played a very significant role, yes, there could be abuse going on, but also that child may not understand or see that as abuse. They could be getting groomed, which is a huge part of that process. Maybe being told this is normal or believing it's normal, right? And just how they're growing up. And so, yeah, we just understand, again, there's just so many reasons why, right? There can be so many barriers. And so that is just so important to understand because that is, again, just going back to that damaging element, right? Of reframing this on you're still, you've done something wrong. Maybe not even in that situation, but by asking, why didn't you come forward sooner? It's like, not only are survivors most likely going to feel that guilt and shame that you beautifully spoke to, right? And were very vulnerable about saying that that kind of impacted that feeling for you. Um, But it's also going to give that idea that like, I've, I have the shame from this and now I've continually done something else wrong because Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about it, which is just absolutely not the case. And even if it's unintentional, then yeah, we really don't want to unintentionally make a survivor feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, these kind of attitudes, they're also going to really marginalize, right? That victim and survivor, survivor, it's going to make it just so much harder for them to come forward. Um, Because think about it this way. If we see other cases of sexual assaults being disclosed, if we hear media's representation or friends or family or, you know, on social media, we hear reactions that are not supportive. If we do hear the questions, the the victim blaming, imagine the other victims and survivors watching that dialogue go on. In their own mind, they're probably already, right? Juggling, should I disclose? Should I not? Is this something that's going to help me? Is it, am I ready to do this? If you look in our culture as kind of only meeting female survivors, especially with those questions, with that re-traumatizing process, with that re-kind of 
guilt and shaming process that is just not deserved on their part, then yeah, I think a lot of other individuals are going to see that as a barrier and a big reason why I'm not going to bother to tell my story, right? Because what's the point? It's already traumatized me, but look at the re-traumatization that happens with me just trying to get support, right? Which may or may not happen through that process. And so yeah. that's a really, really important reason why we all have to fully understand this. I think we spoke on this a few times that we can't acknowledge or address or fix what we don't see and understand. And so if we really want to help survivors, which again, going back to that original thought process underneath it all, right? This is such an awful crime. They must have done something awful to deserve it. If we understand just this is such an awful crime, right? If we mm -hmm. stop stop our thought process there, right? And we understand that we we don't want this to happen. We don't, obviously, that's I think why that reaction is so forthcoming, right? We, we're so upset by it. We can't imagine it happening. We don't want to see it happen. But if we really feel that way, if we really want to make an impact, then this is just kind of part of tearing off that Band-Aid and understanding that, like, maybe I haven't been giving support in the right way. And maybe this is a new framing or, like, a new dialogue that I have to take on, right? A new framing process to think about this issue and how I can react and provide support, right? Because we're never going to help them in their healing if we're victim blaming. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important also to be aware that, you know, we all play a role, right? We all play a role because we often see, you know, sexual assault stories, whether it's like in our personal lives with, you know, friends or family members who have experienced or even on social media, right? Um, or possibly even on TV, right? And so it's so important to use those situations as a, you know, as a dialogue, as a great way to have a conversation around sexual assault, right? And using supportive survivor language, right? Like yes. simply stating, you know, no matter what, that person did not deserve that, right? No one deserves that, right? Sexual assault is not okay. Yeah, the the blame needs to be placed on the abuser, the perpetrator, not the victim. And people don't know how impactful something so simple like that can make a difference and how that can make a survivor feel comfortable to speak up or disclose. And I've mentioned this before where, you know, I've had random conversations with someone where someone just overhears and they all of a sudden disclose to me and they're like, I've never told anyone this before. Or, you know, I, and so people always ask me like, how do you have the ability to have strangers or someone that you don't really know talk to you? And I say, it's because of the language that I use, right? If I'm using language that is supportive and is making someone feel like this is a safe environment for them to be able to speak up, then I'm making them feel like they are in a safe place to be able to do that. But if they hear me say or make statements that are, you know, supporting the abuser or victim blaming, of course, they're not going to want to disclose or speak up. Who wants right. to put themselves in a situation where they may be at risk of being said or blamed for something that they have no power or control over, right? Because really, when yeah. you think about it, the victim was powerless in that situation, right? The abuser was the one that was, you know, uh, conducting or 
you know, committing this crime to try to have power and control over them, right? And so you have a victim survivor who was powerless in that situation and who really needs to feel empowered by all of us, right, as a community and as a society. So I think that's why this conversation to me is so important and really, you know, hits home. I think we all play such a critical role in making sure that we kind of shift that blame. Absolutely. And I mean, just to think about it in another kind of a simple, just simple little format, right? We go back to that list of the most common examples we hear. You know, what were you wearing? Well, how much did you have to drink? Uh, you know, why, what were you doing going to that party? Or why were you walking home by yourself? Or any of those examples are common human freedoms we are all entitled to, right? If I'm of age 21, I'm allowed to drink, right? That's just, that's a common human freedom. Me being inebriated, does that again invite someone to come and commit any crime against me? No, that is still their choice, right? It doesn't matter my dating history. Maybe I am provocative. Maybe I am in tune with my sexuality, or maybe I'm not. Either way, None of those things invite a crime committed against me, right? So we could just kind of keep going down that list. Those are all basic human freedoms. And we may have completely different opinions on what's right and what's wrong and what's appropriate and what's not. But again, that's what they are, right? We are here in America. Those are basic human freedoms we all have. And so again, none of that, none of that really gives the perpetrator an excuse. That's not, none of those are reasons. None of those are invitations and none of those excuse to have a crime committed, right? And it's interesting too, because victim blaming does happen with other crimes, but not as pervasive, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes if we like put victim blaming in other crimes, it would sound hilarious, right? Um, and so actually to our listeners out there, there's a great video resource. This is on YouTube. Um, her name's Lacey Green. So Lacey Green has a whole channel on YouTube about a whole uh, list of different kind of subjects that she speaks on. But she did an awesome video on victim blaming. And so I just want to like quote uh, just an example or two from her. So in the beginning, she's going off about, you know, how it does happen in other crimes, but let's hear kind of how silly it sounds. So one of her examples is your identity was stolen. Well, <laughs> You were using a credit card. Well, what did you think was going to happen? Come on, you need to take care of yourself more, right? Mm -hmm. We wouldn't say that. Or oh, you were mugged. What were you wearing? A suit? Well, everyone's trying to make money. You're just asking for it, just going out and flaunting what you got, right? So mm -hmm. we don't commonly hear those things. Maybe some of you have. I can guarantee we don't commonly hear those things the way that we do within assault, right? And so really important. Again, we have to understand this. If we want it to change, uh, it takes a societal shift, right? It takes all of us coming together and understanding there's a different way to respond, a more survivor-centered, trauma-informed response, right, to someone disclosing with us that is not going to bring them these barriers. Another thing is, too, what difference does it make to us what they were wearing? None of that matters. They had a crime committed against them, right? Mm -hmm. Like it shouldn't, in none of those questions, them answering that for us, that's not going to bring any validation. It's not going to bring any healing. It's not bringing justice. We're not detectives. We're not like figuring out what happened. And so we've talked about this with supporting domestic violence survivors. And I just want to bring it back. Check your intentions. That's, I think, a big part of this. Like really check your intentions. If someone does disclose, right? Just kind of, yeah, 
think about if maybe in the past, maybe you have kind of asked those questions. And if so, again, it's the culture we're in. We don't blame you. We're not judging you. You're here today. So if anything, we're celebrating you, right, for being part of this conversation. Um, but just maybe even going back, just think about, right, like maybe where were those intentions? Why did I ask those questions? What would that have solved? What would that have helped if they were able to divulge this information or give a rationale, right? And so let's just, yeah, take a think on that. You know, again, cite some examples, maybe thinking about times you've uh, heard discussions of sexual assault within the media, right, within the Me Too movement or disclosures in Hollywood or through some of these, you know, kind of men in power um, that we've had some allegations out. So just think about those conversations. And so that being said, we are going to jump in to a little meditation. Before we do, JC, do you have any kind of last minute little thought points you want to throw at us? Well, yeah, I think it's just important to know that, you know, we should not be victim blaming um, just because, again, you know, not only does that really affect, you know, the victim survivor, right, but it can also increase, you know, unhelpful emotions like shame and guilt, right, which we know is really common and big when it comes to survivors who have experienced sexual assault, right? Um, and it can really delay their healing process. And I think that's something that's really important to know um, because what can happen is, you know, it can become a cycle of abuse, right? Where, you know, this could happen again for uh, to them and they may not disclose, right? Because again, that shame and guilt is kind of in place. And so I think it's really important to highlight that as well as, you know, knowing the consequence of victim blaming, right? Which I feel like it really takes the responsibility away from the perpetrator and the crime that was committed, right? And so what happens to someone who is not held accountable for a crime? They may re-offend, right? And so again, then you're thinking about that and you're like, whoa, that's another victim who most likely will experience the exact same crime because this person was not held accountable or responsible and may think it's okay to do this, right? And so I think just as a society, we have such a big responsibility, right? To really shift that focus and blame off of the victim of the crime. And we need to place it on the person that has committed the crime, which we refer to as, you know, the abuser or the perpetrator. Thank you so much for that, JC, because yes, right, and kind of just looking back, we were talking about how survivors see victim blaming, and they were probably going to recognize that as a barrier, right? If I see Mm -hmm. other people reacting to that survivor, same thing with perpetrators or abusers, right? Even if maybe someone hasn't perpetrated before, maybe um, for whatever reason, they maybe are deciding or are interested in doing that and feeling power and control in that way, and if they see a society that does not hold perpetrators accountable, then yeah, what else are they going to think besides, well, I could easily get away with it. Mm -hmm. So why not? Right. So thank you, JC. I think that was a beautiful point to really kind of end cap, um, especially why it's so important for us to really take a look at this, right? It's not just between us and survivors we might know and honoring them. It's really culturally and thinking about like, why do we protect perpetrators? Why would we do that? Right. If someone's committed a crime, why do we, why would we coddle them? Right. And give them the support when there's others who are victims. And so, yes, let's hope. Um, and again, we thank everyone that is listening into this conversation today and just took time to really kind of 
maybe have an aha moment or maybe just really have a kind of a deeper look and maybe prepared to, yeah, have different conversations, um, share this information or just kind of be able to view the conversations we're having or, you know, what we're listening to and just take it in a little bit differently, right? And so let's go ahead and meditate. Let's close out today with some nice, simple, simple breathing, nothing crazy. So if you have time and space right now to take on this meditation, we encourage you to get into a comfortable seated position, somewhere you can just fully relax your body. And I want you to take a nice, slow, deep breath in through your nose. And a slow breath out through your mouth. Breathe in and hold and exhale. Take a deep breath in and out. Take a deep breath in. Relax a little deeper and exhale. Continue with this breathing. With every exhale, I want you to let your body sink a little bit deeper into your chair. With every exhale, let your eyelids become more heavy. With every exhale, allow your muscles to just completely relax. Starting with the muscles on the top of your head, face, and through your neck, shoulders. Relax through your belly and your hips. Relax through your legs and your calves. All the way down to your Focus on the rhythm of your breathing. Make your inhales the same length as your exhales. Inhales, hold your breath for a moment before exhaling. Continue with this breathing, holding your breath for a moment.
a nice slow deep breath in out and exhale slow deep breath in hold for three and exhale take a big breath in fill your lungs and expand hold it a big exhale And one last big breath in, really fill your lungs. And a big exhale. And slowly go back to your normal breathing. Wiggle your fingers and toes. Open your eyes back up to the room. Thank you for taking the time and taking some breaths with us. Thank you so much, Lisa. I feel so relaxed right now and ready Yay. for the rest of my day to conquer the world. So I hope you all feel as relaxed as I do. Um, we hope we also hope that you have gained some knowledge on victim blaming, and we hope we can count on your support to support victims and to shift the blame, right, and make that a societal change. And so thank you all so much for joining us for this very important one conversation.